A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, listener. Welcome to episode 239 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the L3 and the Falcon, the EU guru himself, our count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. I feel like I should be giving you some lip about uh, computer rights or host <laughs> rights or something. Because um, I'm pretty sure I'm not getting paid for this either. I just had the thing going on with Michael in one of our opening skits, as you call it, for a Cloud City Casino about how I never get paid. So, what the hell, man? Uh, yeah. But yes, yes, uh, we are back for... I mean, everybody kind of knows what these episodes are going to be. We've been talking about them for a while. It's just that, you know, now it's going pretty much into... Fe- we're, we're days away from February, and we're finally looking back at last year. But... I would argue, and I think the audience would argue, that uh, these are some of our most anticipated episodes every year. So as such, we really ought to, you know, even if they are going to be a little bit late, ought to still produce these year-in-review episodes because it gives us a chance to hit so much stuff. So, uh, well, and ironically, this is where mad. we started, too. I mean, you think about that. Our first three episodes were the year-in-reviews for uh, 2011 when we started in 2012. Good God, really? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Man. Uh, it's, it's, it's insane. I, I, and Riley and me are looking back for, for Patreon uh, uh, content for Star Wars Report because we both started podcasting. This is our 10-year anniversary. We both started in 2009. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'm filing back through my book drive, finding the old uh, episodes that when we first applied, I recorded and I, I saved a bunch. And, and it was a good thing because when Solo Sound shut down – all that old stuff got so I still have rest out softly, um, but nice. I don't have uh, the other one that we did. We did two of those, um, and and yeah, the other one I have just my narration for it, uh, uh-huh. but I, I couldn't find the full audio on that one yet. But my book drives big, and when I first started putting things on it, I just kind of like threw it all into one folder and then kept adding folders and to that folder. So it is a cluster bomb of just all sorts of, i'm finding baby pictures i was like jana come down here i found your baby pictures this is you being born like this is wow. like you five oh, yeah it was crazy the stuff i found in there but yeah so it's exciting but uh you know you know how it goes man Star 
Stars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look back once again over the previous year of Star Wars publishing. This episode, we'll be focusing on the novels of 2018, with our next episode being comics and the one to follow being television and the uh, films and then the games and the uh, other stuff. So consider this your spoiler warning, Beyond Our Sentience in All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Yes, and quite a lot of material there was in 2018. Uh, we've talked a lot about that whole delineation between quantity and quality. And uh, we certainly had quite the quantity for several of these categories uh, as we go from episode to episode here. The question, I guess, is whether the quality was there as well. So we shall see. Well, well, I will say, though, in the defense of the quantity out there, when it comes to the comics, we're looking at, what, two publishers? When it comes to the books, we're looking at more like we've got Disney Lucasfilm Press, which really wasn't putting out anything just under the only Del Rey era. And we have Del Rey as well. Plus, we've got the uh, BK books and those other books. But I think having Disney putting out books, uh, well, I argue to say that they're adult books. I mean, they are considered young adult books, but to me, they, they read just as adult as any other. I think that that's a testament to the amount of books we have because you have these two publishers putting out good content roughly, uh, I, I think it's arguably depending on what you're reading and, and what your outlook is on what you're reading, but you got quite a bit of it coming from multiple publishers versus back in the day when it was just Delray and occasionally, uh, you know, the other ones like DK. This is true. Yeah, we do have a nice uh, plethora and some different publishing lines to sort of give us different flavors, you could say, of, of Star Wars. I'm actually uh, just here in the last, I guess the last 24 hours as of the time that I'm recording, just finished reading an uncorrected proofs review copy that was sent out of Queen's Shadow. And I would agree that whether we're talking Queen Shadow or if we're talking Rebel Rising, we're talking Lost Stars, we're talking Leia, Princess of Alderaan, most of the stuff, or Most Wanted, a lot of the stuff that we're getting from Disney Lucasfilm Press does read very much like the adult books in terms of style, and then sometimes pushes some types of content, uh, such as sexual content or leading up to sexual content and then everything kind of pans over to the fireplace kind of thing um <laughs> a little bit more so than the adult novels do which i guess is you know what happens when your audience is a bunch of of you know hormone driven teenagers so we start with the adult novels the ones that are officially adult novels here and we've got basically four new hardbacks and then we had some paperback reprints. So I'll just hit the paperback reprints first really quickly because there's not really much need to talk about it because we talked about them last year. Mm -hmm. Paperback reprints in 2018 included the original Thrawn, or at least the original canonical Thrawn, Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad, Phasma, and Canto Bite. And then in hardbacks this year, we had The Last Jedi Expanded Edition, which is in both hardcover and paperback the same year, mm -hmm. Last Shot, which was also hardback and then paperback in 2018 then we had the hardbacks of thrawn alliances the second of the new thrawn books and the solo expanded edition novelization uh what do you think as far as those four new hardbacks that were actually new content this year um what would you take you know surprisingly i i really enjoyed the novelizations they they're not as quite as the stover effect uh, but I think Brian Freed, especially when he, when he gets a hold of stuff, uh, you know, he's probably the closest we've gotten in the new canon lineup to getting that kind of effect. But I love the way Did that you say expanding. Brian Freed. 
wasn't it Brian Freed that did the one for Rogue Jason one? Fry? No, no, no. I'm I'm talking about last year's one with uh, Rogue One, where, where that was wasn't that Alexander Freed? Alexander Freed. Sorry, yes. There you go. I was like, who is Brian Freed? Is he right? Brian Fry? Is he getting? His I was I was getting I was getting things t- tangled for sure. But so uh, when Freed wrote his for Rogue One, right, that one felt the closest to what we've gotten so far to the Stover effect when Stover did Return of the Jedi. But uh, Last Jedi and Solo, both of them, I did appreciate the added content in there. Um, I think that that made the books more enriching uh i also liked the way that they you know the, the classic way books do where you get into the characters a little bit more i think that that's one of the best opportunities when they get into these is to really explore that angle um and and i hope that they get some kind of story group input there like can we like take this one character just like like lando like i would love to see them just really get into lando and and get into the the heartache of everything that goes down with L3, right? You know, like, like get into that character from that point of view. I would love to see more of that stuff. So I like, I like the way that, you know, when you get into characters like L3 and stuff, you can get that point of view from Lando where, you know, you're feeling the heartache, you can get some insight and stuff. Like if they went to story group and got some details and stuff on the characters in that regard, it would definitely enrich even beyond the added scenes. Um, You know, they're working on it, but not as much. I think uh, most wanted probably was closest to that feeling because you were able to get into Kira. Um, but I don't know for me, it's like, that's the one thing that I really do appreciate. I love the expanded scenes. They definitely bring more to the table, but I think they can do more in that regard. Um, but when you talk about like Thrawn alliances, now there's a book I was super excited for, uh, got into it and it was, it was pretty exciting at the beginning. Um, uh, but I, I just, I, for me, that ending, you know, like we said in the episode itself, I felt like the ending was just a little blase, you know, it, it just, it didn't quite engage me as much as I was hoping, but with the promise of what's to come with the next book in the line, oh my God, I'm 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 excited for where this book left off because there are a lot of things that I felt like they didn't really matter much to the overall story that if played upon in the next novel, which of course this is Timothy Zahn, I don't expect him not to play with that. Like he's he's very rarely left something alone, and when he did, he was playing the long game and came back to it later. So I'm excited. I'm I'm thinking you know when we get to the next book. What is that one? Traitor? I, I can't exactly remember. It's off the top of my head, but I'm excited. The fact that they made this a trilogy, maybe they go with more, you know, I, I would love to see more of Zon stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that one. And then last shot was a fun little ride, but I, I don't know. When I think about the Delray books, I felt like there wasn't a lot of them really. I mean, you, you got the novelizations, but there weren't, there was three books really is what it felt like. So I would say that of these, I think I agree that uh, really what stood out this year tended to be the novelizations. Um, Jason Fry's expanded edition of The Last Jedi, I think to me, it had somewhat of a Stover effect. In particular, the explanation given for Rey having the ability to do a lot of the stuff that she's able to do and the skills she's able to have. And the idea that sort of when Kylo Ren was pushing into her mind aboard the finalizer, uh, or was it Starkiller Base? Starkiller Base, I guess it was. Um, and she winds up pushing back, and that door sort of opens uh, when she pushes it back on him. That in essence, it's like she's seeing into his mind, and a lot of his training is being absorbed so that she is sort of instinctively using things that she got from him without even realizing she's doing so. Um, and that it's just as much a surprise to her as as to anybody else. I thought that that type of thing and some of the other aspects added into The Last Jedi novelization – not only served as a Stover effect to just make it more enjoyable and have more insights for those who already like the film, but I think to some degree they addressed some of the concerns of those 
who are particularly against the film, though I doubt they would be the audience bothering to read the novelization once they already hated the film. I think that went very well. It was cool to see Mer Lafferty come in for the solo expanded edition. I don't know if I ever met Mer Lafferty myself. I think I did. I know that uh, Mer used to be someone who was at Con Carolinas a lot, and for years that was my convention of choice, and I was on panels and that sort of thing. So I'm assuming we've probably met. I know, though, um, that Mer Lafferty is a friend of many of my friends who still go to the convention or in that area. So it was cool to see someone from sort of that circle um, step in. And write for Star Wars finally again. Um, the expanded edition of Solo, I gotta be honest, I've tried getting through the whole thing. I'm gonna have to restart it again because what'll happen is I'll get sidetracked about halfway through mm. and then wanna go back to the beginning because I forget where I left off because the movie's fresh in my mind, but not necessarily the book. That's what happens when I don't have to read obsessively for the Star Wars timeline gold anymore. I don't have to be keeping up as much, so I've got a stack of stuff that I need to get to. Also, one of the big issues that I have is that. And this is something that just affects books in general. I'm curious how many people in the audience have the same issue, is that for Star Wars books, it's a collection. So I'm buying them to read them, but to keep them in a collection, at least until I finally decide screw it and try to sell off the you know, hundreds of books and thousands of comics. I think I put, posted a count on uh, the Beyond the Films Facebook page a while back. But since it's a collection, they are physical, and I don't have a digital copy of them. So most of my time with a chance to read typically is going to be as I'm going to bed. And if I don't want to wake up my wife, I need to be reading on my Kindle. I've got a Kindle Paperwhite, which is, of course, the ebook reader that is backlit. So I can actually just read on that, and the screen is lit regularly. I have a very hard time reading actual physical books with a book light attached to them, mm-hmm. um, just with my eyesight and everything. So for me, a physical book for a Star Wars collection – is a detriment to actually getting it read because <laughs> I'm not able to read it as I'm going to bed on the Kindle Paperwhite unless I buy a second copy of the friggin' thing, um, which typically I'm not going to do because of the extra cost. Although there are some, to be fair, there are some publishers that allow you to buy ebook versions or physical versions of books for cheaper if you've already bought the other one. It's just <laughs> that usually. I'm not buying through Amazon, so it's not possible because most of these books are tending to have signed copies available through Books a Million. Um, Anyway, so Solo Expanded Edition, about halfway through, I've restarted. I've read the first half a couple times, and it's good to me. Um, Throne Alliances, again, (laughs) it's sort of there. It was okay. It had some great moments and insights, but at the same time, kind of a frustrating book. Didn't really feel like it was as strong as the first one was. Hopefully, uh, Treason will be better. Treason, that's what it was. And then Last Shot... Um, last shot, I really like, it's kind of like, I liked the story, but I didn't like how it was handled in the sense that I like the idea of putting together the pieces of all these different time periods. Like right now I'm rewatching or finally into stuff I hadn't seen before, but I'm watching slash rewatching 12 monkeys, the sci-fi channel series based on the film. And it's fantastic. You're bouncing around to like 1987 here or you're in 2015 or you're in 2043. And, you know, which characters have met and where is this in this person's timeline because they're bouncing through time, etc. I love that kind of thing. But when you're going to have a book that is specific to these different time periods, make sure your damn dates are correct. Mm -hmm. Because for last shot, all the stuff that was in I want to say it was Lando's portion made no chronological sense the way that it was laid out in the book because either he would have to have rebuilt L3 
for the dates as given to make sense, which would take her out of the Falcon and everything else and, you know, mean they'd have to get rid of her again somehow. Or all the dates were wrong because they had to take place before Solo. Mm -hmm. And it was and he had to somehow get the Falcon back, I guess, too. Um, So, yeah, it was just it was very frustrating from someone who is chronologically minded. If you can just read it as the Lando story instead of looking at the dates, then you're good. But with me being so chronologically minded, it drove me nuts, especially after seeing the film. And it just didn't that 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 detracted from it. But by and large, I enjoyed the bouncing back and forth between different eras. And I like that type of storytelling. So last shot, you know, of the two last shot and Thorn Alliances, I'd, I'd put last shot in the number one slot. But I think the novelizations beat out the original novels this year. Mm hmm. No, I, I have to agree. I think my only issue, I mean, I, I'm kind of over books in general jumping back and forth. You know, I, I don't mind them being set in two time frames, but let's start chronologically and then jump to the other point. I'm I'm kind of over the going back and forth, back and forth. Um, you know, I'm like you where I set my book down or, or, you know, whatever I'm reading and then come back to it later. And then I'm having that issue with the list. You know, I still need that character list because I'm like, who are these characters? So I got to go back like you are and I'll read, read chapters, sometimes even start the book over. And that can get frustrating. But I think my only issue when it came to Last Shot, I mean, the one that really stood out to me that made me stop. It, well, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know, because it made me start to think about the things was the the character that was impersonating Han at the beginning. I can't remember his name off the top of my mind, but it was the gender neutral character that was always calling himself they. And the issue I had was like everyone else just automatically knew to call this person they and to treat this person that direction when the character was introduced as Han Solo. That just drove me nuts. I was like, where was this addressed? I missed this in the book. I was I I was lost by this. I'm like, how do these people just automatically know? And yeah, so it was a moment for me that just brought me out of it. I just remember. I had paused and I thought about that for a good long time of like, how in the hell did they know to call him? Like, Han doesn't even bat an eye. (laughs) It's a galaxy far, far away. They're further along that path, I guess, with all the different uh, uh, species, let alone genders, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's a galaxy of enlightenment. Okay, so uh, jumping into young adult novels, primarily from Disney Lucasfilm Press, we had some uh, hardbacks this year. We had a couple of paperback novelizations. We also had some paperback reprints. The reprints, for what it's worth, were Rebel Rising, which, of course, focuses on Jin Erso, and Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which focuses on Leia Organa, both of them sort of telling their coming-of-age stories to a degree. The two paperbacks were the junior novelizations of The Last Jedi and Solo. And then the hardbacks, and one of these I – I'm sorry, Mark, on the list that I gave you, I had miscalculated it or misidentified uh, – one of them as paperback when it's actually hardback, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, we have Rose Tico Resistance Fighter, which is one of those journal styles books um, that ties into The Last Jedi. Most yeah. Wanted, which is essentially another of these uh, young adult novels focusing on Han and Kira. The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear, which is aimed at even younger readers. We then have Join the Resistance, Attack on Starkiller Base, the third book of that series. Tales from Vandor, which is another of those journal-style books focused on events tied into Solo. And then Lando's Luck, which is an original story that is the first book in the so-called Flight of the Falcon series, which then continued into this year uh, with Pirate's Price uh, focusing on uh, Hondo Onaka, for example. Um, So of these young adult novels, what did you think? What stood out? Um, Was there anything you particularly liked? Anything that was just trash, so to speak? What did you think? 
Well, and didn't Cobalt Squadron also come out that year, or did it just hit the end of the year before that? Because I remember For some the Rose reason I'm Tico thinking one. that that was that was the previous year. I think it was it, you had books that came out right around the time of Last Jedi, and then Rose Tico Resistance Spider wound up being one that sort of lagged behind. Okay, because um, yeah, I remember those later. two were like I got them within weeks of each other. Yeah, there was the Page one, and then Cobalt Squadron. Both of those came out, I believe, at the end of the previous year. Um, with Last Jedi, and then Rose Tico Resistance Fighter lagged behind and then came out mm. at the beginning of this this previous year. Because, yeah, I remember that being odd, but I guess it was because they didn't want two journals to pop up at the same time, despite the fact that basically you've got several books now that all kind of interweave and show similar events from the perspective of the Tico sisters. Yeah, right. Well, and the other thing, too, is like the delivery of the review copies were hit or miss, because I didn't get the copy of Rose Tico Resistance Fighter, but I did get Most Wanted. Um, I didn't get the Chewbacca and the Forest of Fear. I went out and bought that one. Um, but I did get joins the Redi- resistance one. So it's, you know, it's weird on that regard to how, how, which ones were coming, and which ones weren't. I really enjoyed most wanted though. Um, I think that that one was probably the rebel rising of its year. Um, you know, and the fact that we got rebel rising and princess of Alderaan in the paperbacks, um, you know, just want to pause on that for a second back in legends time. I only collected the paperbacks. You know, Nathan's talking about the physicals. For me, when it came to my Legends books, I would have to wait that year. So I would buy them in hardcover, read them in hardcover, and then give those away or sell them off, and then buy the paperbacks when they came out. So the the bookshelf paperbacks are mostly really nice because I only opened them up if I had to read them on a second or third time after, you know, having them on the paperback. So for the people that got those books and finally got to read them. I mean, those were great books. And I think most wanted was definitely in the guys like rebel rising was rebel rising covered Jenner. So it was, it was pretty much everything you needed to know about Jenner's life that wasn't explained from the opening crawl of rogue one to the end of the film. Um, and for a sense, you know, most wanted kind of does that for Kira's character. And I think that that's really what I got the most out of that book was the relationship between her and Han going in, which allowed me to appreciate those character relationships more when I rewatched that film. That film is rising in my list of, of favorite films. The more I watch it, the more I appreciate it, the more I come to love it. There's more things about it that I like. The more I start to see uh, Aaron Reich as Han Solo, I'm starting to see the younger Han and more things. Um, you know, so, I mean, that book, I think is definitely a testament to that, um, Lando's luck or flight of the Falcon or whatever it's called. That one looked interesting, but again, I, I hadn't got a chance to get my hands on it and same thing with the new junior novelizations, you know, so I was hoping you got a hold of those because I want to say that the new junior novelizations are doing kind of like the adult ones where they're adding their own new scenes to it as well, even though they're not very big or are they exactly like what we get with, uh, you know, uh, Fry's one where it's just the added scenes that he added. They just put a different writing on it, basically. They do give some new scenes. It's not quite as much information. It's not quite as much in terms of new scenes as what you would see in the adult ones. But they do provide other perspectives on it. Um, and they tend, in some cases, to approach scenes from a different character's perspective. Not necessarily a first-person perspective, but, you know, that whole idea of the third-person limited perspective where it's still told in third person from some omniscient narrator but they're they're narrowed down to just the knowledge and understanding of that particular character like you can have a third person book told by lex Luthor, where he doesn't know that clark kent and superman are the same person and is talking about them as separate but you might see the same scene played out told from 
uh, Lois Lane's perspective, and maybe she knows by then that they are, are the same person. So the way that it's written is different, even if it's not first person. Um, okay. So the perspectives change a little bit. Uh, and those are pretty good. I mean, those weren't really necessarily as much of standouts, I would say, as among the the adult novels, but they also had more competition in that regard right. uh, in terms of the number of books. Let's see. So Rose Tico Resistance Fighter, I've read. Um, I read the page one as well. And Cobalt's Wandering. Um, when you put all those together, you get a decent like, like I would say that of all the characters we have of the new characters in the sequel trilogy, I feel like Rose Tico is the one we now know the most about, like right. way more than anybody <laughs> else, um, to the point where some of these books were overlapping and telling us the same stories from slightly different perspectives. And you would get these explanations that were similar to what we saw in a previous book. Yeah. Um Though what I find interesting about Rose Tico Resistance Fighter and the others that kind of tied in with it is the fact that we're getting a perspective on the events right before Last Jedi, which means we're getting perspective on events happening during The Force Awakens in many mm -hmm. cases. So we got to sort of see how those events tied together, interwove. Um, it was one of the more frustrating and difficult things to pull off for the last edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold. Um, as I recall, I'm trying to remember if I actually got to those in time, uh, but I think I got to all of them in time. Mm. Um, most Wanted, I feel like everything since Lost Stars, when it comes to these these young adult books meant to give us background on characters or give us these, these young adult tales in the Star Wars galaxy, it's not so much that the quality is degrading, but my interest – and the cool revelations and my love of the book is degrading to some degree. Like I felt like Rebel Rising was really, really good, second only in that particular genre to Lost Stars. Mm -hmm. And then we had Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which was a, not quite as good. And then we had Most Wanted, which I felt was not quite as good. Now we have Queen Shadow coming up for 2019. Uh, that, like I said, I finished it, and it, it gives us some great new insights into certain characters, but – I'm not sure where I'd put it in that hierarchy yet. Certainly not up there with Lost Stars or Rebel Rising yet. So it's mm -hmm. kind of this idea that it's like, you know, they started out, you know, it, it's it's like the uh, to to use the hockey analogy because my wife and I enjoy hockey. It's like uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights coming in and going to the Stanley Cup uh, championship game the first year that the team existed. Where mm -hmm. do you go from there other than just winning? Right. Uh, <laughs> any other year will be a disappointment to some degree. Um, so most wanted, I thought was solid, um, good, like you said, for giving us the relationship between Han and Kira, their friendship and everything, what they've gone through, um, that sort of thing. But it didn't really jump out at me. It didn't really wow me in most mm. respects. It was just kind of, yep, yep. That was an adventure of those two. Uh-huh. Well, it's almost uh, like when the prequel trilogy started and they put out the journal books, you know, where it was like, here's yeah, the event you've already yeah. saw, and there's a little bit of tidbits into the background of these characters. Yeah, it's enough to be interesting, but it's not like when you get to Jude Watson's series where you're learning about, you know, Qui-Gon taking Obi-Wan as his apprentice, or later when Obi-Wan takes Anakin, and then later on with, you know, Anakin's rival Ferris and Obi-Wan. Like, you know, that was building towards something. And, well, and it's like it's like what they're doing with these Age of Republic and Age of Rebellion, all these Age of comics yeah. now. Here's a one-off story that doesn't mean a damn thing. But maybe you'll get a little bit of insight into this character. Like, we mm. didn't need Most Wanted. It doesn't really necessarily run directly into the film 
and tell us why they're in the situation that they're in. There no, are at most it tells of, what Han blows at the beginning. You're like, oh, that's what happened. <laughs> so it's just kind of one of these. I don't know. Well, no, it's not even. I don't know if, if I remember correctly, it's not even that job. Oh, it's right? not even that, that job? job is different because yeah. there's a gap because the characters are 18 and 18, if I remember correctly, in uh, Most Wanted, and they're 19 and 18 in Solo. I think is what the, the age difference is. So uh, there's a, there's months that go by in between, presumably, uh, unless Han just magically has sure. a birthday. I was like, I was laughing. I was like, oh, Han's lying out his butt, man. He totally lied to those guys. Well, that, I'm that, almost well, that positive it's not, that, that, that that's something that instead gets covered in the solo novelization. Anyway, so it was all right. Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear, my God. Um, that was a chore to get through. It's not that it would be a bad book for kids. It's just if you're an adult trying to read it, it's a chore. Um, it's read it, – it's, it's told from the perspective of this god-awful, obnoxious narrator. <laughs> who isn't one of the characters, right? It's like, well, I guess you know what happened here, so we can skip. Oh, you'd like to know? Well, I guess I can tell you. Oh, shove it up your <laughs> exhaust pipe. Um, it's it's an exa- It's the narrator's just frustrating. Um, you, you had a lot of instances of again Chewbacca as the lead character having to basically have all of his dialogue and kind of stuff, so you don't know what he's saying half the time, except when either other characters react to it or the narrator tries to to be cute and be like, "Oh, you wouldn't want to know what that translates as because it was profanity," kind of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the story itself, you know, it's not the framing of the story actually isn't bad. It's the idea that there was basically just like this this dark area dark side kind of area that that twisted the people who were tied into it um and there was this temple there and there's this artifact that this rich uh this rich uh Coruscanti once who's like related to Semalu um and basically you know Han is being held hostage to get Chewbacca to go with this uh this young girl who's more than she appears of course to go get this item etc cetera, etc cetera. and if it had been maybe 75 pages shorter if it had done less run around and actually gotten to the friggin point in many cases it probably would have played out as a better story instead it was a slog to get through it's 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 one of those ones that's great in concept poor in execution it felt like to me um mm-hmm. join the resistance attack on star killer base i have not had a chance to read i've read the previous two and hey nowhere to go but up after the incredible farting <laughs> wedding so that's great um, Tales from Vandor, haven't had a chance to read. I like those types, the journal types. What, but that's what on my is stack. Tales from Vandor? That, that's, that's, the one one... That's, that's the one that's basically a journal-style book, but it's from uh, Han's – well, it, it's it's from Han's adventures during Solo. Um, okay. So it's kind of like what Rose Tico does um, or any of the other journals do for their related film. It's just the Tales from Vandor is the solo version of it. Okay. Okay. I was like, man, what that, it sounds interesting as all hell. I'm, you, you know, <laughs> but I think the issue for us, is, it gets back to that, you know, we're getting these character studies and it's time to like invest in a new character. Like I want to know more about Ray Sloan or bring in Dr. Afra into the books and give her a series of tales or take some of these characters during a, a time period where we don't know where they're at and give us a story that tells them doing something way out in the middle of nowhere or something. I don't know. I I'm ready for something more than just something between the pages of characters 
that we see on film or, or that are side characters. I mean, like I want to know more about those characters, but right now I feel like Disney and, and, and the people in charge are holding back. We're not going to get the story of Luke's Academy's falling and the conversation between Han, Luke and Leia after everything that happens with Ben. I would love to know about that, but that ain't happening yet. Um, so, you know, those kind of things are, are not coming. So it's like, there's gotta be a way to create some new characters and tell some stories that we can get just as invested in as we are with the film characters. But I feel like they really don't want to go there because the market is pushing us towards the films. They want us to remember that it's a film franchise first. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, as an aside, I haven't read Lando's luck yet either. Those last couple are sitting on my shelf because not having the impetus from the timeline, I will get to them. Just haven't touched them yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically, I mean, you can see that all the way across it. And people have been making this argument that lately, after EA axed another Star Wars game, in this case, the open world one that was previously the Visceral Games uh, game that was supposed to be this story-driven adventure, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, that, well, the fact that everything must be canon, supposedly now, uh, even though, of course, there's you know, the Lego stuff and there's novelizations versus films and whatnot and that sort of thing. Um, But this idea that everything is supposed to be one unified level of canon and just as valid means that they can't really take the chances and and go far with what they're trying to do with the books and comics. Like they're relegating them to being secondary stories, not in terms of of canon status, but in terms of what events they're willing to show us. Uh, Because who knows what's going to be covered in some film or some uh, television series or whatever at some point. And, you know, the market is there for those things, not as much presumably for the books or for the comics. So why not? I mean, it's just it's it's one I don't want to say meaningless tale after another, but it's one, as you said, sort of character study type tale that in the grand scheme of things matters little to not at all over and over again meant to tie into and promote something else rather than being a story of its own. Although I will say that, to be fair, one of the reprints we got this year in the adult novels was one of those instances, and it turned out great, and that was Inferno Squad. It was Mm -hmm. meant to promote the Battlefront 2 campaign story with Aiden Versio. Mm -hmm. But uh, it turned out that Inferno Squad was a great novel to read, and you really got invested in those characters, which did wind up making you more excited to play as them in Battlefront 2. Um, but, you know, Phasma, Canto Bite, at least not all of it, but much of Canto Bite, and most wanted. It's just over and over again. Here's something where if you're hyped about this movie, look, look, it's those same characters. You know you want to buy this too, right? <laughs> and then it winds up being kind of, yeah, it makes... It makes me kind of wonder about Queen Shadow. Again, I, I don't want to keep going back to this because I know it's not out yet. It's not fair game to discuss. But this is, I think, the first time that I have ever received an uncorrected proofs, also known as an ARC, an advanced review copy, um, but an uncorrected proofs copy like two months almost in advance of a book from Disney Lucasfilm Press. That used to happen all the time from Del Rey. And then – they pulled back on it right around the time of the uh, shortly after the uh, the launch or relaunch of this new story group canon and all. Yeah. So it's been ages since we've gotten one of those for either. But in particular, I don't think I've ever seen one from Disney Lucasfilm Press. And usually what mm. winds up happening is 
you'll get a review copy of a novel if you are someone who's on that review list. You'll get a copy of it, but you'll get it after the book's already out. And you yeah. know looking at it, there's no way in hell it was mailed before the book was already out. See, and so I still haven't got get... my copy, so I'm like, oh, man, am I going to get it? Is it good? And I know it's probably going to come a week after because that's what's been happening for me. Well, it's like they're trying to get you to review it, but they're missing the point that if you are someone who is a diehard Star Wars fan enough so that you're going to be reviewing these things, chances are you've already bought it. Mm-hmm. So they're sending you a duplicate of something you already have, first of all, which only would make sense if they sent it to you ahead of time so that you got that copy and didn't buy another copy unless, you know, you were trying to get a signed copy or an alternate cover or something like that, that sort of thing, right? But even then, in the few cases where we have gotten books prior to release as review copies, even those books for the most part have been finished copies, not uncorrected proofs anymore and not that far in advance most of the time. And now here's Queen's Shadow. And it makes me wonder... If there's something different about their approach to Queen Shadow that's making them think it won't be as successful or they want it to drum up more excitement because they're really kind of pushing this in the uh, Star Wars female fan community as, you know, Amidala is finally getting a freaking book of her own uh, with her handmaidens. So let's really hype this up or what? Because it seems like for the most part. They've they've given up on this idea of let's let reviewers actually review it ahead of time so that when it comes out, they can express their opinions, because I got a feeling that you're going to that if you were to do so, you'd have a lot of people saying on day one on release when it's time to put up that review. Yeah, it was all right, but I'm not sure you want to spend full hardcover price on it Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You've got to really. I mean, there was a time when I was excited for new Star Wars books constantly. I would go to the local bookstore at at least once a week, scanning the shelves for new Star Wars books. This is back in like the early 90s, the Bantam era. This is back before I was going online to check and see if there were new books. But I was going there every single week, scanning the new shelves. And you find a new Star Wars book. It was friggin' awesome. You devoured it within a matter of days. Mm -hmm. And... You, generally speaking, enjoyed the experience and may even go back and reread some of the others. Like if this is book three I just picked up, well, I just bought it and I'm excited for it. I may reread book one and book two before I even read book three because I'm that excited about it. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that kind of energy for Star Wars books in a long time. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about in the people that I talk to. Um, When a book comes in. If I happen to get an early review copy, there are people like who are excited, like, wow, you know, you're lucky to have gotten it early or Mm. wow, jealous or something. But then the time comes for the actual book and you talk about it with these people and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. where where the excitement is, it's early, not it's a Star Wars book early while that story is going to rock because you don't get that kind of feeling from most of what we're seeing right now. Um They've got to have some guts. They've got to grow some, I don't know, space testicles or whatever you want to call it. They've got to have <laughs> space testicles. The, the, that just seems weird. Uh, <laughs> or, or the equivalent of it for women. They've got to come up with um, an approach that has some guts that says, you know what? Let's explore some unexplored territory. Let's explore some momentous events and actually make the damn books matter. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening right now is that the Aftermath books and the Battle of Jakku stand out as this amazing moment where they actually held back and said, you know what? Let's let a book freaking do something. 
mm-hmm. and they're not doing it anymore. I mean, these book Thawne alliances. What does it mean in the grand scheme of things? Last shot. What does that you. mean in the grand scheme of things? Well, go back to aftermath, though. I mean, I mean, there's your solution. We've got no resolution. We built Ray Sloan up to be the leader of the empire. They go outside the galaxy, and next thing we see, who's in charge? Snoke is now supreme leader. I want to know what happened there. I want to know how she ran into him. I mean, there is – give us a book series about Ray Sloan. There is a character who is going to be fundamentally big in the picture somewhere, whether it's a small splash in the pond. At this point, she's the leader of the Empire – and by this point, I mean, at the end of Aftermath, you know, I mean, there is a character you should be investing in. There is a character that we've seen cross over into comics and into into the other books. Other authors have used her. Start utilizing that character more. When you do one of these Han Solo type movies, you should have put her in the background. She should have been sitting at the desk going, oh, we're going to put you with the pilots kind of thing. Give her a desk job in the background or something. I don't know. I want to see some investment in those characters. I think aside from her. Afra is probably the only other character. Afra is probably the only character that is in the books and the comics that started that way. Aside from characters like Kane and Jarrus, who started TV, jumped to mm-hmm. books, went into comics. But I mean, you've got to have that big play. And the only characters that are playing big with that are are your main film characters. And when you look back at Legends, right, and you look at the books on our shelves, and you get to those ones near Episode One and stuff that are the journals. Those journals are never going to stand up next to a Star by Star or a book like Trader or I mean even junk books like crystal star crystal star is still going to be better than that journal because there's more to it because when you're doing these type of character studies you just you can't get that much into it especially if you're not going to play big i mean unless you're going to put something in that one book like what they did with uh dark empire where this is the one book where the character goes bad and if you ever want to know about it you got to get that one story and find it out i mean they're just not risking in that regard and they could i mean you know there was uh a you know, right before the legends changed, they had those, well, I want to say it was like rebel rising books. Uh, and they had one where Luke wrecks a pod uh, racer and, you know, they could have put the next book starting with, you know, you finding out that he lived, but not, nah, they were like, no, oh, we're going to play it safe, man. We're going to let you know. Now roll that dice, man. Make us think that a character we know is going to have to live, make them die at the end of the book and then find out. Yeah, they didn't die. They do that on TVs. They do it on all sorts of stuff. Do it in the book, play it big, do the tongue in cheek, pull the JJ Abrams lie to their face. I don't <laughs> care, but give us something bigger. You know, I mean, that's one of the things I love the most about the new Jedi order was it was an event that was massive. It had an impact, not just for the, the characters, but for the galaxy around it. Ithor, you know, I mean, it got damaged. The planet Coruscant was moved. One of its moons was destroyed. I mean, there were some impacts there that lasted for generations that the characters would reference and things like that. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm down for more of that. And I think the fact that with Aftermath, they did that with the Battle of Jakku. But I feel like, you know, there's still more promise there with that character, Ray Sloan. I mean, that's that's who I'd bet on. Is there any other character that you could think of that you could build that story franchise around or, or do like what they did with Wedge and Tilly's or Coran Horn? Right. With what they did with their characters in Legends. When you look at the lifespan of those characters, that's what we need. We don't need more Luke stories. We don't need more Han stories. We don't need more Leia stories. Well, maybe some Leia. But what we need are those new characters out there. Give us the new characters like a Coran Horn. And they don't have to be these characters. I'm just saying how we got them in Legends. Right. When Coran Horn showed up, he was just another rebel pilot who happened. Oh, my God. He also has some Jedi roots. He's got something that Luke Luke and him could be bros kind of thing. And then you have Kip Duron show up. I mean, there's you got to have some characters like that to start flushing this out and we can't just 
rely on characters like Thrawn to show up and hope that Timothy Zahn's going to do something with the character that makes him as impactful as he was in Legends. Even though in Legends, he had a small splash in the pan compared to what we're going to be getting in canon so far. So, I mean, the potential is there. It just feels like when it comes to the media side of things, they're not willing to take that risk. If they were to do like what they did with Rogue One and kill off the cast, you know, I mean, it worked there. Why not do something like that here? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's that lack of being willing to take a chance. I mean, you and I'm hoping I am hoping against hope that whatever gets announced for after episode nine, whatever the details are that we finally get for the one by the Game of Thrones guys or mm -hmm. whatever, that whatever gets announced for movies and TV finally moves on to some other period. So they can uh -huh. finally take some chances and actually give us some meaningful tales between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Fill in that gap. Because right now, it's like everybody's holding their breath, waiting to see what happens with Episode Nine. And since they don't want to wind up running into Episode Nine, they won't do much of anything. My God, we have a, a freaking Star Wars television series right now that is as generic sci-fi as you could possibly get. Because, oh, well, it's right before Force Awakens. We can't trip over anything you're already tripping over the podammer and comics and their timing in relation the with uh, before the awakening and its timing in relation they just keep wedging that open more and more to fit even more stuff into it seriously take a chance and tell a meaningful tale but i think mark is right you can tell either meaningful tales that matter to the galaxy at large and use our existing characters from the films okay and use them in a meaningful way um, but you got to have the board, of course, clear to some degree to be able to have the freedom to do that. Part of why we have such stories as, you know, whether it's the Thrawn trilogy, Jedi Academy books, Dark Empire, um, New Jedi Order, Legacy of the Force, and so on and so on in Legends is because at the time they were made, there wasn't going to be a sequel trilogy, right? They had the freedom to take those characters wherever the hell they wanted because there wasn't anything they were having to build towards and lock themselves into for the most part, except when the stories were jumping around a little bit with, you know, setting up young Jedi Knights, for instance, fairly early. Um, beyond that, they had a lot of freedom. Give us something by getting into that sort of free territory and then let it rip. Or the flip side to that is give us stories that are meaningful with characters that are new that we can care about. Mark hit it on the head. I mean, Ray Sloan, her story is the she is the most interwoven character basically of any of the uh sort of canon legends if you want to call it the canon uh, publishing arm as opposed to movie arm characters mm -hmm. um who has actually had a chance to do the most stuff and have the most impact in anything that we've seen within canon at this point afra as he said being a close second i can't think of very many others at this point i mean maybe take thane and sierra from lost stars but their story seems Pretty solidly well-rounded. You don't want to drag that out too much. Um, but, you know, maybe Inferno Squad. Give us stories taking part with uh, some of the members of Inferno Squad between what we saw uh, in the uh, Battle of Jakku bits of Battlefront 2 and what we saw in the DLC for Battlefront 2. But of course you're not, because you might make a Battlefront freaking 3 and want to use those same characters again, so you're not going to do anything that might step on your own toes later. But Twilight Company. Yeah. There's got to be there's got to be characters that we care about that aren't just the film characters that get a chance to evolve. If you're going to build the kind of tapestry, the kind of framework that you got with Legends, and Legends did it right out the friggin' gate, right? At least when it comes to 
the official launch back in 91, uh, but to some degree looking back at some of the earlier stuff. But you think about what they did, right, with 1991 into, say, 1995, because you dive straight into stuff like Thrawn Trilogy Dark Empire. Yes, you can only make them because you know there's not a sequel trilogy coming. Okay, fine. Tales of the Jedi, mm-hmm. right? Find a new time period, give us new characters, do all kinds of crazy stuff with them, knowing that it will not have a direct impact on any of the films, so you can go hog wild if you want, or puffer pig wild if you want. Uh, See, and I have a feeling they're doing that, but again, they're only going as far as the live action. I mean, I have the feeling the Game of Thrones guys are going to be slotted for something in the Old Republic era, and I have a feeling the Mandalorian show is going to set that up more so than even Rebels did with the confirmation of the fact that there was a Mandalorian-Jedi-Sith battle on Malachor. You know, I mean, the fact that there was this you know, confrontation that happened. It's a promise of something big back in that past. And now you take these people from game of Thrones that are really good at telling old medieval type stories. You know, now you're, you're looking at going back into the past. Like to me, that seems like a perfect setup for the TV. But again, they're, they're only betting in that realm. And when it comes to casting actors and stuff, I'm surprised because the other realms, the books, the publishing, the comics seem like they'd be the, the quickest, easiest investment. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where – but it's the, it's the same type of thing. If they do set up that series in, say, sometime in the Old Republic, congratulations. Now that era is going to be off limits to anything but mostly meaningless comics and novels because they're going to want to tell that story in those movies. Or the Mandalorian right. TV show. Okay, well, here's the era of the Mandalorian TV show. Oh, congratulations. Now all the stuff written around it is going to have to be essentially meaningless because they want to tell the story in the TV show. The yeah. the books and comics are going to have to stick out their own territory, their own turf, if they're going to be able to make something like this work. They're going to have to get clear. It's obvious that they're not going to be allowed to possibly interfere with or clash with movies and TV, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Not have sort of a retroactive type thing like we saw with, you know, uh, they're writing in the prequel era and about the prequel era. um, And then in in even tiny, tiny bits. And then it turns out, oh, wait, now we're going to have to sort of, you know revamp that eventually oh you know kiati Mundi had all those wives oh wait jedi marriage and stuff is forbidden crap okay we gotta retcon this over here or sort of the way that in reverse it happened with the tv show the clone Wars, stomping all over what existed for legends for clone wars um for what six years yeah. um, or jedi disappearing being only a yoda and kenobi thing and you're like oh but what about dashara and all, the yeah, what about all these jedi? other ones that have disappeared over the years in this continuity so um they, I, I get that they don't they, – they're not going to allow that because of the clashes that could happen, that could occur. But it also means you're not allowing them to flourish. It's like basically holding your child back constantly from doing anything risky for fear they might scratch their knee. But in the process, you're raising a child who is not able to handle life once they are on their own. Right. It's basically the overprotective parent right here. Let the Star Wars books and comics go out, skin their knees, punch each other in the eye every once in a while and basically just be irresponsible kids while they're kids (laughs) so that as they mature, you get something grand and strong that can handle the world as their own. Right. You look back at Star Wars and you can say these were the Star Wars novels of legends or of canon. Right. Well, the Legends ones, you're going to look at and see the breadth and scope of what they did and say that that is a series that was allowed to mature. 
You're going to turn and look at the canon novels at this point, and you're going to say, wow, did they ever let you out of the house? And that's not a good approach. Okay, so we've we've spent a lot of time on on that. It did the the coverage turned into sort of venting time, as it sometimes <laughs> does. So let's hit um, the guides and the oddball stuff and the kids' books, and that'll wrap us up for books, so we can head on into talking uh, comics for our next episode here. Maybe we can even uh, get them recorded in the same night. That almost never happens. Um, right. So guides and oddballs. We had. From DK, I believe it was, the Encyclopedia of Starfighters and Other Vehicles. We had Lightsabers, A Guide to Weapons of the Force. I mean, there's a reissue um, with some updated information. Uh, when it comes to those in-universe guidebook type things, we saw the Rebel Files that had its deluxe edition the previous year get released as a book-only edition in 2018. And we that's had the, next the first one. canon one, too, because the ones that came before that were all legends, too. Yes, yes, that's the one. The first one that is canon has canonical stuff to it. Um, then we have Smuggler's Guide, which had its deluxe edition come out this year, uh, had a nice sort of container that looks like a smuggler's, uh, I don't know, like lockbox type thing that you have to open mm-hmm. up. And then it's got a secret compartment where the book actually sits and that sort of thing. So we got Smuggler's Guide as well. We got nice. William Shakespeare's Star Wars uh, continuing with Jedi the Last, of course, the Shakespearean version of Episode Eight. We got a new edition of the Complete Visual Dictionary. We got Scum and Villainy, Case Files on the Galaxy's Most Notorious. We got Women of the Galaxy. We got the YT-1300 Corellian Freighter's Owner's Workshop Manual, which was a new version of a book that existed previously. The Millennium uh, Millennium Falcon 3D Owner's Guide. That's that kind of cutaway thing, which, again, is a revamping of a previously existing book. And then we had the Droidography when it comes to the guides and the oddballs. Honestly, of these, I can tell you immediately which of the two that stand out to me. Because I'm the Rebels right? file and the and the Smuggler's Guide, right? Well, Rebels Rebel file I already had because I already had the deluxe edition, so the book edition doesn't really do much for me. That's um, true. That's true. It's the deluxe edition of Smuggler's Guide, which is just awesome. Although, again, every single time it seems that they're paring down a little bit. Although this one came from a different company, so uh, it seems like it's kind of on par with what we got with Rebel Files in terms of you know the little documents and stuff that come with it. But uh, the other one is Jedi: The Last. I love the William Shakespeare Star I, Wars stuff. I, I was wish they could take that. the prequel ones that they have that exist and actually do audio versions of them because the audio versions of these are fantastic. The, the books are are great. But the mm-hmm. audio versions are fully dramatized and fantastic and well worth the extra money for these. Um, the other stuff was actually fairly solid throughout for this year for the guides and such. But yeah, Smuggler's Guide and Jedi the Last, those are the ones that stand out for me. Well, and guides in general are a hit or miss topic. I mean, you know, you either you, you live for these things or they come and go or there's certain ones you like, right? I'm a certain ones. I like guy. I mean, when it came to the old stuff, I was a big fan of the essential guides. Love those. I'm looking forward to when we get an essential chronology or an essential readers companion for the new canon. I feel like we're getting close that we should be able to start seeing a first edition of that at some point. We got a lot of content out there, especially when you look at all the different publishers. Um, But you know, I I'm, the two I don't have of this set are the rebel guide and the smuggler's guide or the rebel files and the smuggler guide. Um, you know, and I love the Sith Holocron one the most. I think that one's probably my my most favored one. Um, Boba Fett's is second. The Jedi Path one, like, that one's the one that got it all going. But, like, I feel like when you look at the Sith Holocron one, like, man, they should have went Holocron with that. Like, it was, it was too soon to really get to establish itself with the full epicness of the idea of what it should have been like they should have went with one more before that one so they could have made that one a a holocron would have been awesome but i think the smuggler's guide one probably looks 
the coolest of the ones that aren't the Sith holocron. Um, the Rebel File one, I remember that one from the year before. It it looked ganky and weird. But this one feels like it's probably the closest to the Boba Fett one, where you know Boba Fett's was kind of like a locked box as well. Uh, I think that was kind of cool. The Imperial Guide one was was weird as well, though. When when that one, it was like a weird kind of like an urn type thing that opened up. But I like the idea that you're finally getting an in-universe book. I mean, that was the idea when they were from Legends. was like, here's a, a, a doorway is open, and this book fell from that galaxy kind of thing. And the fact that they're continuing that now in canon, I mean, I'm kind of a little butthurt about the fact that it, you know, I was like, those were a legend thing. You should have kept a legend. It was awesome. But I could get over that fact because I like the fact that they've they've got that concept of it falling out and landing in your lap. Um, the complete visual dictionaries, those things are great with tidbits. They have all sorts of fun little information. But again, it's not really up my alley. I for me, it comes down to if I have to spend money on on my stuff, you know, I mean, some of these books cost the same price as a really cool, you know, Black Series figure. And so I'm like, do I want the Black Series figure that I can post a lot or do I just want to know some tidbits here? Um, You know, so that's one of the things that I think of when it comes to these things. So like with the uh, the Shakespeare stuff, that's not really up my alley. Right. But the YT Freighter Owners Workshop Manual. Now that. That's fun. When I think about the uh, one I had before and the Death Star one that they put out and stuff, those were always really cool. And if you're into ship designs and stuff, and for me, that's where a good chunk of my fandom started was ships and ship designs. Before I really got into the stories, that's what drew me to Star Wars was, was l the layouts of the ships. You know, um, my dad was a big Trekkie. And so I was like curious about the smaller ships. You know, they didn't have small ships like they did in Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek were all big monster. Like they were like the love boat and stuff. You very rarely saw a shuttlecraft. There was no X-Wings or anything at that time. So I want to know more about the different sizes of the ships that they had in Star Wars. And that's, that's what really locked me on. So, I mean, for me, I think that those are the type of books that would that I would gravitate in this category. Though I do like the fact that uh, Women of the Galaxy was out there. I know that there were a lot of friends of mine that, that were just eating that book up, loving it. Um, we all know the author is awesome as well. So, you know, that's always a plus, too, and it's, a, it's somebody we all love. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot here and a lot of good stuff. Um, but it's a category that it's one that is personal. I really feel, you know, it's not one of those mm -hmm. that you could expect because, oh, I review a Star Wars books. They're going to send me every one of these. Like, I, I don't know if I would want to have every one of these sent to me just because the amount of information I would feel obligated to comb over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of these are, are really you know, exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for. And other ones I'm just kind of like, yeah. Like the complete visual dictionary. I mean, the visual dictionaries are solid. The the visual guides for the different books. I like them when they come out with a new book for a new film because it gives me all kinds of background tidbits about that film. But the complete ones are basically just compilations that leave out some stuff in order to cram stuff together from all these different guides. And the end result, it, it doesn't feel consistent much of the time as far as the, the layout goes because you can recognize which ones come from which books and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And it's one of those things that always has a tacked on for now, right? Like uh, th like they didn't even call the Complete Visual Dictionary like the second edition, third edition, or whatever. They called the Complete Visual Dictionary New Edition. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the new one, except it's not going to be the new one once the next one comes out. You're going to call that the new second edition or something? Why don't you just call it the Complete Visual Dictionary for now or something? Um, <laughs> and I say that knowing that I will be guilty of, of something similar because I'm working on a second edition of a Saga on Home video right now. Except ah. my big push right now is, yeah, there's going to be more information chronologically, more information um, because of new releases and stuff like that. But for me, it's a it's an overhaul. 
it's I want to get rid of all of the grayscale images from the original book that was there to keep the price down. And people have been asking for something that is both able to be done in digital and color because of all the products it's showing. So I'm actually revamping and retaking all the 300 plus pictures to put together a color version that will also be readable on mobile devices um, if you don't want to have a physical copy around and that sort of thing. So I feel like when you're doing something that's actually adding significant value to it or something significantly different, that's one thing. When you come in and you're just compiling things together and giving a no another complete version of something, to some degree it's a misnomer, but I guess it's good for those who didn't pick up each individual one because it does have the biggest highlights from each one. But I also, mm -hmm. again, I say that knowing that if they put out a new edition of Star Wars year by year, every two years, three years, I would snatch them up in a heartbeat. Because like you said, it's a personal interest thing, and I love the Star Wars year by year books. Because I'm big into sort of what's happening with the franchise on a yearly basis and love reading books like that. I've got the Batman one of those. I've got the DC Comics one of those. I've got the uh, Marvel one of those before they renamed it year by year. It was just called Marvel Chronicle. I mm. love that stuff. And I would yeah. absolutely wind up buying each version of year by year as it comes out. Um, year by year and panel by panel. I love both of those. Yeah, because it gives you sort of that insight into it. But, you know, for me, a complete Visual Dictionary new edition was a grown – I guess I'm going to need to pick this one up too kind of thing because I knew I wasn't going to get anything new with it that I didn't already have in the previous complete one or some of the more recent releases. But for those who don't pick them up, you know, they're going to be great ones uh, to check out. Kind of Though I would say that I think that the updates to the uh, Owner's Workshop Manual and 3D Owner's Guide to the Falcon, for those who mm -hmm. liked those books originally, are probably going to dig the new ones. So might as well try those. Uh, right. All right. Lastly, moving into kids' books. Yeah. We had a... Two Forces of Destiny books. We had the Leia Chronicles and the Ray Chronicles. They're basically just kids' books that sort of retell the stories of certain episodes of Forces of Destiny with uh, basically little Maz Kanata interludes and stuff woven into them, although they are slightly different interludes than what we see on television. Um, we had Adventures in Wild Space, The Rescue, the last book in Adventures in Wild Space, finally get released in the U.S., but it was already out in the U.K., so that series is done. We had two Choose Your Destiny books, yes, Star Wars finally getting back into choose-your-own-adventure kind of stuff with Yay. a Han and Chewie adventure and a Luke and Leia adventure. Very generic names, but choose-your-own-adventure kind of books. I uh, killed with... Luke and Leia! Oh, no! Hey, <laughs> they found a way to give me what I wanted. Well, you know that yes. most of those books do have bad endings somewhere, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so we had also Star Wars Block, over 100 words every fan should know, which I'm thinking getting for Kate at some point. Uh, Are you scared, Darth Vader? Which is... Weird. It's got stuff like, is, is Vader scared of a vampire? How about a werewolf? What? Uh, Jedi Academy, The Principle Strikes Back, and Lego Star Wars Choose Your Path, which is another um, Choose Your Destiny type of thing. Uh, definitely for me, what stands out here are Choose Your Own Adventure books, which are nightmares for timeliners, but at the same time, <laughs> really, really fun. Um, if you want to do something that's almost leading towards role-playing, but without all the depth of role-playing, it's just a fun quick experience those are always right. great to check out uh, i like those decide your destiny books that they had previously there were some were released in the u.s for clone wars some only in the uk those were pretty cool um and the fact that adventures in wild space is finally finished up in the u.s i wound up enjoying that series though they're milking the living crap out of that series though too because they've used characters out of that series all grown up or their descendants as the framing characters for the uh, Tales from Wild Space segments and all the Star Wars adventure comics from IDW and the characters in the framing story for uh, Tales from Vader's Castle 
uh, for also from IDW. So they are milking the hell out of the Graf family. Um, and unfortunately, since it's all kitty stuff, the books actually didn't read as kitty as as you would think when you're reading the comics. But boy, the comics are tending to kind of kitty them out, which is unfortunate. I'd love to see the graphs show up in an adult novel or even a young adult novel to really see how they could fit in with more mature storytelling than what we've seen previously. So Choose Your Destiny and Wild Adventures in Wild Space, those are my big ones this time. Ironically, of all the genres out there, I feel like in this case with the Adventures in Wild Space with the Graf family, that's probably the one family you may actually see on a place like Batu and Disneyland. You know, like, I mean, if you're going to see somebody do a crossover, why not someone from the kids' books? Because, you know, Disneyland's all about, you know, magic and aiming everything at the kids. And so if you're going to have someone from a book, odds are the amount of people you have walking into the park are probably going to read that kids' book probably more than one of the adult books. I don't mean. I know, I know exactly what it's going to be. I know exactly <laughs> what it's going to be. It's going to be a bar. Uh, it's going to be like a, a, a eating and drinking establishment a cantina, but it's going to be run by members of that family, but also have someone of, of Yoda's species there too, that speaks in weird order. And they could call it instead of the, uh, uh, the graph bar, they can call it the bar graph. <laughs> I know long way, very long way to get to a really bad punchline, but uh, you know. so it's, it's, it's what we're known for. I mean, <laughs> um, overall, I would say again, this is, I, I've, it feels like I have to say this every year. This was not necessarily a banner year for Star Wars novels. <laughs> it was a year that had some decent stuff. It was a year that had some very minor highlights like Smuggler's Guide, uh, Last Jedi Expanded Edition, uh, and its effect on viewing the film. But broadly speaking, it just was not a great year for new Star Wars storytelling in prose form and it's really frustrating to have to say that year after year after year it seems like with these years in reviews i i mean this i feel like Star a broken record and i try to I, I, it's like i'm sitting here saying don't be negative don't be negative don't be negative because i feel like when we do these reviews and we look at each year's books a lot of times it comes off as negative and i have to but i have to step back and say you know what but if i'm being intellectually honest here it's not that it's negativity for the sake of negativity and therefore each year carries the negativity through. It's the fact that they just aren't upping their game still. We're mm -hmm. still dealing with the same complaints and frustrations we've had for years with the publishing line. And here it is again. So, uh, you know, pick out your favorites. There's going to be some highlights each year. But by and large, it still feels like we're sitting here just coasting along on the franchise rather than actually getting into some serious Star Wars storytelling in book form. And that is unfortunate. I know. We've, uh, one of the things I get excited about, I do like those Choose Your Own Adventure books. Um, but like the Lego one, you know, like it's exciting that the canon adjacent stuff is growing. But in an era where everything's canon, I'm waiting for a new essential chronology where they point out the fact that there is a tier level. I mean, clearly. There's a tier level. The The films are trumping the TV. The TV's trumping the books. The books are trumping the comics. And it's going all the way down the line. You have things like these Lego. The, there's a new Lego show coming out or a, a – I don't even know what it was. I didn't read it all. But the fact is that you've got these things coming out, and they can't really be considered canon. You've got Are You Scared Darth Vader? I mean we clearly have an Infinity's level in our canon right now. 
And the fact that we do have books that have aspects of scenes from the movies that didn't happen the way they happened in the movies makes it proof that, again, the movies are going to trump that into what is the canon. So I'm just waiting at this point for them to reestablish a new canon order because it's there. We're not talking about it. Well, I mean, we're talking about it, but the general Star Wars fandom isn't talking about it. And I think that that also is playing into what we're seeing in the new Star Wars. You know, we're pretending that everything's copacetic and that everything's great with everything across the board. And there are minor issues across the board. One of the biggest ones is the fact that they don't want to lock in dates. I understand their reasoning. I may think it's BS, but I think that there are a lot of issues that are going to spring out of the story telling from other books bumping into other books bumping into other books that are all taking place in a sliver that's growing in a pie chart because they just keep sticking something else into that spot that's the it's been the problem with the old eras that legends had and it's going to be a problem with this era to a degree and the fact that we're pretending like everything is canon still it's just that smoke screen that eventually I think it's going to wear off. And I think that the fact that, you know, like you're saying, it's not it's not a banner year for Star Wars. This just is Star Wars. And right now this is the status quo. And until the fandom says, hey, you know, let's do something different. I think we're going to continue to get it. And, you know, there are good stories being told. But there is a lot of opportunity for some really great stories, not just in one format. And I think that that's the problem here is that they're too focused on two formats and that being film and TV right now. You know, I mean, they're, they're willing to sell you Legends books, but they don't want to sell you new Legends books. I, I understand the reasoning there, too, but it's like there are opportunities across multiple platforms just being missed. And that's sad when you see the potential out there. Um, and I think that that's kind of where we come from is, is you know, it's, it's not that we're trying to be negative. It's just that. There's just so much missed opportunity, it's hard to not be pessimistic sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of potential, and it's not it's not really going anywhere. Uh, uh, what is the line at a fight club? Is about, you know, I, uh, I see a lot of potential, and I see it squandered or whatever. It's kind of that, that, that same feeling. It, all, it gives you an anger, because if you are someone who loves this stuff— then to some degree when it comes to things like this, you have to kind of play the role of the loyal opposition. You have to call out the problems or it's not going to get better. We've made the example before that is – and I've said this I think even in print in the uh, the afterward when I was writing in those Sequart Star Wars uh, essay anthologies that basically it's like an intervention, right? You don't do an intervention – for someone who is a drug user because you hate them, you do it because you love them and you want them to get better. And in essence, to some degree, that's kind of what happens when when fans who love this stuff are talking about. It. There's a difference between the fans who love it and see the problems and rail against the problems, wanting them to get better, versus those who are or were fans see the problems, get angry, and simply want to tear everything down. Mm -hmm. um, those are two, I think, very different things. So, yeah, hopefully next year will be a better year. Though I'm betting that – I'm betting. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on this anymore. But I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that once Episode Nine comes out and once all of its various companion promo books to try to get people hyped for it come out, mm -hmm. once it looks like we're moving to a different era, that maybe, just maybe, that'll be when we start to see those banner years for Star Wars books because they'll have the freedom to tell the stories that right now they simply can't. Um, the two last thoughts that I would give – to specific things that you had said before I, I've said my piece. One, uh, choose your destiny books. Hats off. 
uh, to Cabin Scott, and I believe it's Elsa Chartier, uh, Elsa C., um, who wrote these recent books, because I can tell you from doing the audio choose your own adventure thing that I did many years ago, um, Ambush on Ankara, right? Always in motion, Ambush on Ankara, back when StarWarsFanWars.com was still a thing, that planning out and scripting out a choose your own adventure story is ridiculously difficult compared to just writing a standard prose story. So hats off to them. Um, and I would remind folks, based on something that that's Michael's, or that Michael said, that Mark said, see, now I'm getting my podcast confused. <laughs> uh, and I would remind folks basically on something that, that Mark said, which is this idea that, remember, the idea that everything is canon is supposed to give everything the same level of validity so that it's all meaningful theoretically. We can debate whether these stories, for the most part, are meaningful or not. I'd say many of them not. But leaving that aside, remember, the whole reason that such a thing existed was this idea of contradictions, right? What takes precedence over what? As he said, what trumps what? Um, and as you're telling stories, you have two different options. You can allow the freedom to tell stories that matter, and every once in a while they are going to clash with something else that matters, and you're going to have to decide which matters more, and in doing so delineate different levels, even if they're just in small instances of specific individual things. Mm -hmm. Or you can play it safe and make everything so inoffensive and unlikely to step on anything else's toes that everything's able to just coast along all copacetic. Look, it's all one level. But it's all kind of meaningless. I think that fans in general would rather see going back to a tiered system if it meant we were going to start to get stories that we could care about, that we were excited about, that actually made a difference. Even if it means that at some point you're going to have to pull a Trioculus Saga thing, right? <laughs> what was the deal with the Trioculus Saga? You remember, folks? I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about when it when it first was published. Yeah, the Trioculus books, the Jedi Prince books get published. Turns out it's happening right alongside the publishing of Courtship of Princess Leia. They give two contradictory time frames and processes for Han and Leia leading up to getting married and the actual marriage ceremony itself. What did they do? This is back when... That when the idea of what was in continuity or out of continuity wasn't elements, there was no continuity database yet. It was a book list, in or out, period. And the Trioculus books got booted out on their butts because of courtship of Princess Leia. It was only years later that they found a way to work it back in in sort of an altered, not quite true sort of fashion in order to make it make sense with that broader continuity. But at first, Fans were willing to even sit back and say, yeah, they contradicted. I guess the kid's book is the one that would have to go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fans would probably be willing to even put up with contradictions being dealt with by an entire book being booted from canon if you were willing to allow them to tell stories that mattered on a galactic scale in the grand scheme of things. Um, would people be annoyed by it? Sure. I think the bigger concern is oh, it would be bad press because we said everything is canon and then this book got kicked out because it contradicted. Oh. If that's your biggest concern, I think that ship has sailed because you're not telling stories that are grabbing audiences the way that the books and comics did under Dark Horse and Pre-Story Group. 
not or because even the of way Disney. that by cutting back they were expecting it to be. Well, we're right. we're we're not tied down anymore. We're going to be able to tell really great stories. Here's it's a not, bunch and, of bland. And, it's not, and understand, this is not a this is a modern thing. This is not a Disney thing. For those who are thinking, yeah, yeah, screw Disney, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, remember, this crap was starting before the yep. the relaunch. This was the yep. accessibility garbage where we had these books that were meaningless and comic series that trampled over previous continuity, Brian Wood, because of this idea of, well, we just have to bring in more readers. So accessibility, screw what came before. They can play fast and loose with it. Here um, comes Racer's Edge and Honor Among Thieves. Yeah, and it, which is funny because Honor Among Thieves is written by the guy who did the – or the two guys together that did The Expanse, which is amazing. Um right. You you've gotta you gotta be willing to make the tough calls. And if what you are protecting is causing the broad it's it's I don't want to lose my arm, even though I know that if they if they don't amputate it, I'm going to die. I am so busy protecting my arm, I'm not caring about the fact that I have bigger freaking concerns right now than just whether or not I'm going to be able to wear a shirt and use both sleeves. Anyway, okay. So, uh, next time, Star Wars Comics, Marvel, IDW, uh, and so on. So, Yen Press even enters the mix here uh, in this coming year. So, we'll get a chance to check out Star Wars Comics in our next episode. Uh, Mark, you want to lead us out? Yeah, you know. <laughs> that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank everyone once again for coming around and hanging out with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom and remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on stitcher and on itunes which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, no matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any questions about Star Wars, Legends, or anything else, you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly also at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you are our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanding universe, the canon universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months. Yes, that's one year with zero questions asked. So it's basically like get two books for free. Uh, so in this digital age, if you're thinking about making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, it's Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that our opinions in episodes like this one are perhaps why the Star Wars Beyond the Films email address gets so much spam of types like, say, Ashley Madison. People really like getting revenge by signing up email addresses that are publicly available for, well, junk. <laughs> what are the odds of that? 
or or will legends actually continue after episode nine is settled in the dust and everybody can be copacetic about them existing side by side i doubt it i hope but i doubt it <laughs> fandoms are built on hope <laughs> right yeah and so is disappointments bub Spoken like a true dad. 